0: Hello, hello, hello. So I have some absolutely amazing news before I start this episode of the podcast. This month, Des Kelly Interiors will be sponsoring my podcast, The Shane Walsh Podcast, to celebrate sleep-temper. Des Kelly Interiors are an Irish-owned business specialising in all things beds, mattresses, flooring, carpets and home furnishings. They have nine showrooms across Dublin, Kildare and Meath. This month they are celebrating Sleep Timber where they will be running massive discounts across all nine stores in their bedding department. They'll be talking all things sleep on their socials so make sure to tune in. I've always talked about the importance of sleep and I've had the amazing Tom Coleman on and he has done the research for Des Kelly on this side of things as well and I'm honoured to be working with a brand that values sleep as much as I do. They have a huge range of beds and mattresses as well as a dedicated fitness connection range. They have very kindly offered and given me a discount code for all the listeners. When you quote Shane Walsh in store, you will get 10% off all beds and mattresses. So hope you guys enjoy the episode and massive thank you to Des Kelly Interiors for sponsoring the podcast. So before I go into the episode of the podcast that you guys are eagerly waiting for, I want to announce that there is a brand new intake of the female fat loss program, which is starting on the 3rd of October. So the school stuff, all the sports stuff, getting the kids all settled should have calmed down by now, hopefully. And this is an amazing program and the results that are coming through, the people that are coming through are getting changing results. And the whole point of the program is to educate you on how to, your mental health, your PMS, your PCOS, endometriosis, fertility, whatever it may be. And it's an important program that it's not going to be like here's 10 kg weight loss in six weeks that's not what the whole program is about what the program is about is an education tool that's going to educate you on how to enjoy your weekends and still get the results you're looking for to reduce that all or nothing approach that that you may have ingrained in you and remove you away from the certain club mentality that's out there so it's a 6 week program. It's priced at 169 for 6 weeks. It's a Facebook group with like-minded people, so you have that accountability. You've got weekly check-ins with myself, you've got weekly Q&As. So there's a lot it's very hands-on and it's a, it's an amazing program and I'm very very proud and and humbled to have seen the results and the the reaction to it so far. So if you're interested in working with me, head over to the link below and it's starting on the 3rd of October and the program and everything tailored program, tailored workouts with videos, home or at the gym, tailored nutrition, tailored calories, recipe books, the works will be sent over to you the Friday beforehand and then we will get going on the Monday. Nothing is off limits, no silly food rules, carbs and chocolate every day to get you away from that all or nothing mindset that may be ingrained. So if you're interested in joining 3rd of October is when it's going to start, so click in the link in the show notes and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Ina, how are we?
1: great how are you
0: great so thank you so much for doing this over the other side of the world that's what i love about these podcasts it's like i've had cl- i've had people coming from japan I've had people from australia new zealand and now america and canada so it's it's amazing so for anyone who isn't aware of who you are and what you do can you give us a little bit of a quick elevator pitch a little bit of what's your name where did you come from <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a functional medicine clinical nutritionist, and I've been in practice for almost two decades. And I specialize in thyroid health, specifically, anyone who's dealing with a slow thyroid and Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune that affects the thyroid. And, you know, I think like many practitioners, I fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I mean, I think fortunately, but got into this because of my own need and health issues. I suffered with so many different symptoms for years, ever since I was a little girl, fatigue, um, hair loss, acne, brain fog, digestive issues, tons and tons of menstrual cycle issues like PMS and, and migraines around that. And, you know, I had a frequent colds and other infections. And some of that was as early as, you know, like five, six years old that I was feeling sick. And then of course, after puberty and then, you know, through college and starting, I actually worked on Wall Street. Um, cause I went to school for finance and I just did not feel well. You know, my friend, we were living in New York city at the time, working in New York city. It was like such a glamorous job, you know, and, um, everyone was so excited and it was, it was very exciting, but at five o'clock after work was done, I wanted to go to sleep. I needed to take a nap. My friends were going out doing stuff. And I just felt like I couldn't do all of that. And so that's when my journey started. Of course, I went the, a lot of the conventional routes as many people do, and, you know, I saw a primary and he said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. I saw another primary and they ran my blood work and they said, everything's fine. And, you know, they started to question, you know, maybe you're depressed. Maybe there's something else going on. And I was trying to explain to so them, no, no, like I'm not depressed. I might be depressed because I don't feel well, but that's because, right. So like, you know, they're trying to give me antidepressants and things like that. And I knew there was something else. And so then I saw a gastroenterologist and You know, they told me that, you know, I just have IBS and have to live with it. I had really bad skin at the time too. I had so many breakouts and I saw a dermatologist and they just gave me antibiotics over and over again for my skin. And of course the antibiotics then just made my gut worse and gave me a yeast infection, which then I needed to go see a gynecologist. And none of these doctors were talking to each other. And this is what was the most frustrating thing because- I even at that point, I was in my 20s. I didn't have the understanding, of course, I do now in my 40s, but I still sort of had that sense that everything in the body's got to be linked in some way, you know, and I couldn't understand why all of these specialists were not talking to each other and not trying to connect it, right? Like the gastro was only looking at stomach, but anytime I would ask about energy or something else, I'd say, well, that's. Something else. You have to see that that doctor, you know. And then eventually, I saw an endocrinologist, which is a doctor that looks at glandular function and hormones. And that's when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And I was very excited. Um, And I know this may seem weird, because people would say, "Well, why would you be excited about having an autoimmune disease, right?" But. To me, I was like, oh my gosh, now I have an answer, right? Because no one can tell me why I was having these symptoms. It's kind of like, well, there's nothing really wrong. And now you have IBS, but there's nothing we can do and blah, blah, blah. You know? And when I saw that, I was like, okay, great. So here I am with this doctor. Like, Okay. I have Hashimoto's. Fantastic. What are we doing about it? What's the plan? Like, let's talk about it. And the doctor said, well, your thyroid function is normal, which is not uncommon at first. So we do nothing. And I thought, okay, well, what do you mean? Like Hashimoto's attacks my thyroid. And she didn't really explain it. I kind of learned about it. And, you know, I I want to support and she said, well, there's nothing we can do. Your thyroid function is fine. So we're going to wait and see. And I'm like, well, what are we waiting for? And she said, well, we're waiting until eventually the Hashimoto's destroys your thyroid. And then when it does, we'll give you medicine. But right now your thyroid is not destroyed yet. So I can't give you medicine. So we just wait and see. And I got to tell you, Shane, I mean, this is, as I'm sure you and everyone listening can probably imagine, I mean, I wasn't well-versed in the medical field or nutrition, but that still didn't make any sense to me. But yet that's what the doctor said. And that's really what sent me on this journey, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And I found a functional medicine practitioner who was able to explain a lot more. And then we started to dig in. You know, and we figured out I had so many different imbalances. The reason why I was having a lot of my IBS symptoms was because I actually had overgrowth of all types of bugs in my gut. I had candida, which is a type of yeast. I had parasites. I had all sorts of bacteria. I also had heavy metals. Um, when I was young, I had a lot of fillings put in. And they were the, the silver fillings, which are called amalgams. They're oh, made okay. of mercury. Yeah. It's so common. Um, you know, when I grew up in Lithuania, I didn't move to the U S until I was 10 and the dental care was very different there. And so that's what they used. And, you know, there's such a connection we'll get into obviously more detail about this, but there's such a connection between the different toxins in our body and heavy metals like mercury or aluminum arsenic. These are considered heavy metals. They can actually be triggers for not just thyroid disease and Hashimoto's, but all types of um, autoimmune diseases and chronic illnesses. And so you know, I had to get those out, of course, slowly. That's not something you do right away, but we did a big detox with this functional medicine practitioner and we got the the fillings out. We cleansed the gut. We cleansed my liver. I also saw I had a ton of hormonal imbalances, which is what was giving me all of the acne that I was dealing with and the premenstrual symptoms and the headaches. Um, I had elevated copper levels I was really deficient in a lot of nutrients. So there was so much going on, but this time, we had answers, right? So it wasn't like, oh, you have this disease, but there's was nothing we could do. It's like, look at all the different imbalances in your body. It's like, if we look at our body as a whole, kind of like if you have different uh, roads and highways, right, and there's intersections and traffic lights and everything is supposed to kind of move through and work together. But if the traffic lights aren't working, there's going to be gridlocks, right? And cars aren't going to know when to go. And, you know, there's honking going on and the cars are stopped. And that's what was kind of happening in my body. And I think, unfortunately, happens to a lot of people, just because we don't always eat the right way and you know, maybe be deficient in nutrients and we're exposed to so many different toxins. So, anyway, sorry for this very long story, but it just kind of how it all came about is my own health essentially. And then I was able to figure it out through the help of some of the practitioners I worked with. But after that, I thought, wait a minute, there's so much here. I want to learn much more about this. And that's when I went back to school and then eventually went. From Wall Street to opening a functional medicine nutrition practice. And here I am now, almost 20 years later.
0: That's um it's quite a story, and you've been quite even through quite the uh ring. And I think there's gonna be people because I heard you on Brian Keynes, he's a good pal of mine's podcast. And on the back of Brian's podcast, people started messaging me up and talking about your story, and kind of like, I have a lot of these boxes, some of these boxes ticked anyway. And kind of looking for advice and stuff. And it's was kind of like, I had to point them in the right direction or whatever, or hopefully the right direction and see where they were going. But it's, I don't think we're aware of it. If you don't have it, if you know what I mean, if you don't have something that's up with your thyroid or whatever, maybe you're not really aware of it. I'm a little bit aware of it because it's in the family. Like my dad has an underactive thyroid.
1: Mm, interesting. Mm. It's so much more common in women. So that's very interesting that your dad has it.
0: Yeah, hopefully he's not, he definitely doesn't listen to this, but he won't be happy with me sharing it. Um, so can you explain what, well, will start with the very, very basics of it, because I don't think a lot of people know, because we're not, I, I like, I don't remember being taught about it at school. Um, like, what is the thyroid? And then people will hear the words of overactive and underactive. What are the main differences between those? As well.
1: Absolutely. So, our thyroid is a very small gland. It looks like a butterfly. It's a butterfly shaped gland. It's right here in the neck and it is responsible for so, so much in the body. So, people may be aware that thyroid is related to metabolism, just because that's probably the most talked about thing. So, anyone who has tried to lose weight and had any trouble, which is, I would say, everybody, <laughs> right, um, have, may have heard of that connection. And so, the thyroid does control our metabolism. And it controls our temperature. But there is so, so much more that we need our thyroid for. Um, You need thyroid hormone literally from your head to your toes. It's that important. So yes, it's metabolism. Yes, it's your energy but you also need your thyroid hormone for your digestive system. So how often do we hear people say, oh, I'm not going to the bathroom as regularly, or maybe I'm going, but doesn't feel complete. And so often we can feel gassy or bloated or have distension, which, you know, when it comes especially to metabolism and weight loss, right, when you're feeling very puffy, that doesn't help the situation. We can hold on to water. And even if we're not going to the bathroom, there could be just like stored fecal matter and it could be a couple of pounds of that. So your thyroid is actually very much responsible for the motility aspect. So making sure that everything is moving properly. It's also responsible for keeping the lining of the gut intact. And so for those that may not be familiar inside our intestines, you know, our body is almost like a tube within a tube. So the intestines are a tube with it, which is within the tube of our whole body. And in those intestines, everything's supposed to stay in, right? So we have all different kinds of good and bad bacteria. We have our digestive enzymes there. And when you're eating food, the food is supposed to digest and then only the nutrients from the food should absorb in. They're very, very, very small. If our intestinal lining is not intact, it literally has almost like little holes. If you can imagine Swiss cheese, like with holes, if you look under the microscope and the gut lining is not intact, that's what it looks like. And the problem with that, and this is by the way, um, called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And the problem with that is that when we have leaky gut, first of all, we could get infections coming in and out. We can also become a lot more reactive and sensitive to different foods. Even if we didn't have those issues when we were born, we can have these food allergies and sensitivities. And that also can affect us um, from the perspective of feeling kind of tired, feeling that kind of malaise when our gut is off. Um, There's also a big connection with skin issues like dry skin and eczema and breakouts when the gut is off. And while of course there's so many different things we could do to support the gut, Thyroid is first and foremost, because if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, then the gut's going to be affected and you can take vitamins for the gut. You could do different things, but you're not going to absorb them. So that's really, really important. Our thyroid is also responsible for our mood. So sometimes we can have anxiety or depression. And obviously in certain situations, there could be medicines that could be helpful. And of course, you know, people need to do what's best. Um, But at the same time, if the thyroid is lacking or deficient, and we are not making the proper neurotransmitters, that could be the answer to some of the mood issues that we can be having. There is also um, a big connection with thyroid and just overall skin or hair or nails. So people can complain. I hear all the time, hair loss or hair thinning or hair shedding, or just dryness. Like the texture has changed over time with someone's hair. And you know, of course you could do conditioners, you can do different things topically, but internally is really where it starts and your thyroid is responsible for that and your skin. Cholesterol levels are regulated by the thyroid. So sometimes people have high cholesterol and they change their diet and yet it still doesn't budge. That could be thyroid related. Um, sometimes people can have trouble breaking down fats um, and have gallbladder issues or gallbladder is what stores our bile. So if you ever feel like you eat something fatty, Um, whether it's a fried food or even healthy fats, you know, sometimes too many avocados or too many nuts and you feel like your stomach feels off or you feel very bloated or sometimes people can have like bowel issues from eating too much fat. That's usually an underlying gallbladder issue and the thyroid controls that too. So there's so much more when it comes to thyroid than just energy. So it's really, really important. And our thyroid, as you mentioned, could be either hypo, which is slow or hyper, which is fast. Um, Typically though, my specialty is more the slow thyroid. And it is, I have to say, more common for thyroid to be slow than to be fast. I mean, of course, uh, hyperthyroidism does happen and there's an autoimmune disease called Graves' disease which can create a hyperthyroid. And that's a very serious condition. um, But we don't see that as often as we do the hypothyroid, which is the slow thyroid. And when you don't have enough thyroid hormone is when you have all of those issues that we just talked about. With hyper, which is the fast thyroid, it's actually the opposite issue. So it's, um, everything is heightened. So it's heart palpitations. It's you know, a lot of anxiety. It could be more greasier skin or hair. Um, it could be very quick moving bowel. So everything is kind of heightened. Um, but with the slow thyroid, it's the opposite. So it's the brain fog, the fatigue, the weight gain, the malaise, um, digestive issues, and um, kind of slow digestive issues and things like that.
0: But now what someone's going to ask now is if they have an underactive thyroid, mm-hmm. which is hypo, Yes. is it possible to lose weight?
1: It is absolutely possible to lose weight when you support it. So when it comes to weight loss, it's definitely a multifaceted process, right? Because if it was just let's eat less and exercise more, then- you know, no one would have any issues, right? You know, people would just not eat. And obviously, you know, and I know you talk so much about this on your show and, you know, it's not just about that. Calories are important, don't get me wrong, um, but it's not just calories in, calories out. Um, It's part of it, but there's other stuff. So when your thyroid is underactive and it's not supported, it is very difficult to lose weight, absolutely. And that's why it's so important to look at, but there's so much that you can do to support that. And there's natural support for it. Um, In some situations, there is medications that may be needed. In many cases, natural support can be useful, but it just depends on how slow the thyroid is and what the underlying root of that slowdown is where sometimes medication may be needed. But the way that I look at it when it comes to thyroid medication is, you know, and people have asked me this, you know, you're, you're a clinical nutritionist, like everything you do is naturally through supplements. What are your thoughts on medication? Right. But because thyroid hormone is needed literally from for everything, like we said, in your body, if you don't have enough and there isn't a natural way to get it up for you, because maybe the thyroid is destroyed or uh, genetics, I look at thyroid medication as basically replacing an essential hormone that your body doesn't make or can't make enough of. So I don't believe there's anything kind of wrong with thyroid medication, you know, whereas there's certain other medications that sometimes can be avoided, you know, here, if needed, I think it's important. And personally, once... Um, I was dealing with a lot of stuff when I first went back to school, I was very much like anything natural, I'm going to do anything synthetic or in a lab, I'm not going to do. And my thyroid did start to slow down. And I did not want to do medication because I kept trying to fix it naturally. And I did a lot of stuff, but I did need a small amount of medication. And once I realized that connection, and I did that, that's what got me to like the next level. You know, I feel like with every therapy, you get a little higher, a little higher and thyroid medication was like what jumped me to where I really
0: needed to be. So and I know and that's really great explanation because I think a lot of people feel that kind of caught in that bracket of I've got an underactive thyroid. So and I've had people come to me before as kind of clients. I remember one of my very first clients kind of came to me and said, I've got an underactive thyroid and I can't lose weight. <laughs> so I sent her to go to the doctor to get a thyroid check. And her thyroid was fine. It was more like there was other stuff going on, but it just had been labeled to her because other people in her family had that. And she thought that was like an association thing. And that was that was her diagnosis if that made any sense. But in relation to kind of the the lifestyle things and the nutrition things that people can do, what are some of the tweaks that you would advise or what are some of the things that you have done with yourself if you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, I just wanted to really quickly explain just to make sure that everyone's on the same page with the autoimmune part of that, because that's a really big part of then coming up with some of the dietary changes. So for those that may not be familiar, Hashimoto's is the autoimmune disease that basically gets your immune system to destroy your thyroid, unfortunately. And about 90%, and it's possibly even more could be up 95% of cases of hypothyroidism or slow thyroid are actually caused by Hashimoto's. And this is something that doctors don't talk about nearly enough. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize. And when people are told that they have hypothyroidism or they know that they have it, and I ask them, oh, do you have Hashimoto's? Some will say, yes, I do. And some will say, I have no idea, or I don't even know what Hashimoto's is. So I think that first and foremost, it's really important to know if you have one or both. And I would say like 90 or plus people have both, because then we support it a little bit differently. Now, I also just wanted to mention when you said that, you know, you had a client and you went to the doctor and and the doctor said, oh, your thyroid is fine. This is also where it gets a little bit tricky. And I think that this is something that people find helpful when they understand this is that testing the thyroid is not hard, but there is a little bit of art and science to it. Meaning that we have a few different hormones that the thyroid produces yeah. and it's important to look at them. And I think let's talk about that. And then we could get into lifestyle. Cause I think that would make um, a sense this way. So when you go to the doctor, the test that is typically done is TSH. So TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And believe it or not, that's actually not even a thyroid hormone. It's a pituitary hormone. So your pituitary produces this hormone to stimulate the thyroid. And then, that's the number that the doctors check. And if that number is within range, they say everything is fine. Now, two things about this. First, the ranges at the lab are very wide. So um, in the US, and I know you guys use slightly different units, yeah. but um, I'll give you a US example, but you know, we can extrapolate that to the other units. But um, anything between 0.5 and 4.5 is considered normal. And so if you're 0.6, you're okay. If you're 4.4, you're okay. But obviously that's a wide range and there's a big difference between 0.6 and 4.4. But the doctor will not say anything to you um, if you're on the top or the bottom. But of course, if you're towards the upper end of the range or lower end of the range, that does mean something. So this is where a lot of people get missed for thyroid issues because they could be at the end of the range, 95th percentile, but they said, oh, you're still in the range. So there's something called optimal ranges where they're kind of the middle of the range. So for TSH. I like to see between about 1.8 and 3. Um, So, you know, if you're 3.2, 3.3, that's already a potential issue versus, you know, the 4.5 that the lab gave. So that's number one. And then the second thing is that TSH is just one out of many of the thyroid hormones. So just because TSH is okay, even if it is within the optimal range, it still does not mean your thyroid is okay. And so the way what's important to know, and this is complicated, but I'll try to explain it in a way that I think, and I hope will make sense to everyone is once the pituitary gland stimulates the thyroid to produce TSH, that's when your thyroid is going to produce its thyroid hormone, which is T4 and T3. So what's important to know is T4 is inactive. So it doesn't really do as much for you. And T3 is the active hormone, but your thyroid produces mostly T4 and only just a tiny little bit of T3. And people say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would it do that, right? Because you need T3, but our body's really smart. And if the T3 was produced right here in the thyroid, then the cells would use it around the thyroid and there wouldn't be enough to go to the rest of the body. So what the body does is produces mostly T4, which is inactive. The T4 then travels to sites in the body where it then converts the T4 to T3. And specifically, the conversion happens in the liver and also in the gut. And so the T4 travels there. And then once it gets there, it converts. So it doesn't happen in the thyroid. The conversion happens in other organs. And then once you get the T4 converted to T3, the T4 and T3 travel around the body to the different cells that need the hormone. And then they go into the cells. Now, another important thing to know is that when the body is taking the hormones and the hormones are traveling around, they're bound to protein. So I always say hormones are like children, right? You can't just have them run around on their own. So they have to be chaperoned. And so they're almost like they're on this bus, like a school bus, right? And the school bus takes them. And then when the hormones are ready to get off the bus and go into the cell, they get off right when they get close to the cell. And for someone who has had comprehensive blood work before, you may have seen on your blood work, something called total... T3 or total T4 and something called free T3 and free T4. So the total T3, T4 are the hormones on the bus, meaning they're bound, so they can't go into the cell. They can only travel. And then the free T4 and free T3 are the ones that hopped off the bus and they're in that space between where the bus dropped them off and the cell. So like they're waiting for their parents to come take them off the bus, essentially. And so that's the free form. And it's very important when you really want to evaluate thyroid that you look at the TSH, but also the T4, both in the free form and the total and the T3 as well. Because what happens is there's something called feedback loop. So when you have enough T4, the body sends a message to your pituitary to say, hey, we have enough T4, don't do anything with TSH, let it be. And so if T4 is normal, the TSH will be balanced. But if that T4 doesn't convert to T3, there's no way for the body to really know that to signal back to the TSH. So you can have a normal TSH and the doctor will say, yeah, yeah, everything's fine, but you can have really low T3. And remember how we said T3 is the active hormone. That's what goes to all of your cells. So when you don't have enough T3 is when you can have all of those issues we spoke about earlier and all of those symptoms. And yet, you're being told your thyroid is normal. So there's a few, there's a couple of other things that can happen in this hormone cascade, but this is sort of the most common thing that I see. So either TSH is within lab range, but not optimal, or some of the conversion things don't happen and someone can have a thyroid issue. And so of course you can have a lot of symptoms, even with quote unquote normal levels. And on top of that, if you have Hashimoto's, which is so, so common, even if your thyroid may seem normal, a lot of the thyroid symptoms can come from the Hashimoto's itself because the Hashimoto's creates the inflammation, which can cause all that same, the wake-in and fatigue, the brain fog, the digestive issues. Um, so that's why though, like it's so important to understand this, to first know, like, do you have a thyroid issue? Because what I find is I'd say more than half of the people who tell me, oh yeah, yeah, my thyroid's been tested. I'm fine. When we look at all of the tests and see it's not fine, or they may have Hashimoto's and they don't even know it. That makes sense?
0: Yep. Makes plenty of sense. If someone is within the lab range and not an optimal range, as you've kind of explained, what are the options? Because I think that's I think that's very, very common. I think yeah. it's a lot more common than people realize.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. what are people's options? So that's when we can do a lot of the natural things. Um, in terms of diet and lifestyle. So if someone's TSH, let's just say, you know, we should be between 1.8 and three and they're at four, right? So it's still in the lab range because it's under 4.5, but it's a little bit high. Most doctors will not give medicine. And I find that typically we may not even need medicine, especially if the TSH is a little high, but the other hormones are okay. If the other hormones are also already off, then in some situations, the medicine could be helpful, but typically we could do things naturally. So um, it's then very important for them to find out if they have Hashimoto's as well, because if someone has the autoimmune, then we want to look at what we call immune triggers. And this is helpful for really any autoimmune disease. And immune triggers are things that can confuse the immune system and cause the attack um, of the thyroid or other tissues. And so the big triggers are going to be the foods that we eat. It's going to be the stress that we're under. It's going to be the infections that we could have in our body and the different toxins that we're exposed to. And I think that whether someone has Hashimoto's or not, it's still important to be mindful of those triggers, but especially with Hashimoto's, we want to be even more mindful. So first and foremost, we want to look at food because we have the most control there, right? I mean, sometimes stress, you know, life happens. There's always things that come up and infections and toxins. Again, we'll talk about in a second, we could do stuff, but the food, like you're completely in control of that. And, you know, for those who have Hashimoto's, I find that gluten and dairy tend to be big triggers. So I usually recommend limiting those foods and then really focusing on eating as clean as possible. So foods that come from the earth, foods that... Um, you know, aren't processed that are not in boxes and plastic bags and things like that. Right. So good quality protein, ideally organic, if at all possible, or, um, you know, here in the U S we have so many, um, proteins that are treated with antibiotics and hormones, you know, thankfully where you guys are, I know in Europe, a lot of that has been outlawed, but here they still use that. So I always recommend grass fed or, you know, without antibiotics and hormones, And then working on getting, um, you know, good amounts of fiber and vegetables and, you know, without gluten, there's still a lot of other foods that people can eat. So there's non-gluten grains like buckwheat and millet and brown rice. There's sweet potatoes and squashes and all types of legumes. You know, that are are very good carbs. And, you know, not all carbs are bad, you know, even when we're talking about weight loss, right? There are good carbs and fiber that we do need. I mean, some people may need a little bit more or less in terms of the amount that they're eating, but they are still important. Um, And really balancing that so that we keep our blood sugar balanced with the proteins and, um, you know, a little bit of the good fats as well. So, really uh, cleaning up the diet, I think, is very, very important. Another thing that I want to mention is. When we talk about thyroid, there is a myth that um, a lot of people have heard, and that's that you can't eat cruciferous vegetables. I don't know if you've heard that before, Shame.
0: I've heard a couple of things that with kind of like thyroid stuff that are out there, a lot of them are questionable.
1: Um, yeah. So the, the thought there was that the cruciferous vegetables. So these are things like broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, and also like a lot of the leafy greens, like kale and Swiss chard they are um, uh, named sort of as goitrogens, right? Because um, goitrogens are things that can um, inflame the thyroid and can create, that essentially they can affect how much iodine you have and slow down the thyroid. Here's the thing though, those foods are actually very, very weak goitrogens, like so weak that it really does not matter. And in fact, those foods have so many more beneficial things like sulfur, which is really good for detox and antioxidants and a lot of nutrients. So the amount of positive things in those foods completely outweighs that little bit of what could be considered goitrogenic. And believe it or not, there's much bigger goitrogens out there. So things like Um, there's certain pesticides. Um, Again, I think in Europe, it's been outlawed in the US, they still use it, but glyphosate, um, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, and they use that a lot in farming. And that's a goitrogen. Um, When you also expose yourself to different plastics, so drinking from plastic bottles, or using things that contain BPA, um, which is uh, an ingredient in plastic that can be very harmful to our health, that is actually a big goitrogen too. So these things will affect the thyroid much more than the these vegetables that, again, I mean, they have some goitrogenic activity, but it's very, very, very little. And so sometimes I find that people remove these foods thinking, oh, I can't eat them, but then they deny their body of all of these essential nutrients that these foods provide that are actually very, very helpful for the thyroid.
0: What about the role of selenium?
1: So selenium is very important. It's a mineral. And um, this is why also we want to eat a lot of these leafy greens and a lot of the good uh, grains because they're very high in selenium. So the importance of that is that it helps with the conversion of T4 and T3, and actually both selenium and zinc do this. So the selenium itself doesn't necessarily make you produce more thyroid hormone, but once your cell, once your T4 gets on the bus and travels to the liver and the gut, the selenium is needed for the enzyme that does the conversion of T4 to T3. There's also some research about selenium having a positive effect on Hashimoto's. So the Hashimoto's remember, is that autoimmune that destroys the thyroid and selenium is, um, it has a lot of antioxidant uh, abilities. So antioxidants are things that protect yourself and uh, cells, excuse me, and free radicals are things that damage your cells. So the more antioxidants you have, the more you protect your cells. And so there's research showing that when you have enough selenium, that it can be protective to your cells and it can actually, as one, there's many things of course that do that, but it's one of the things that can help to calm the autoimmune process. Um, now, again, I don't think that it's, I really don't believe that there is like a magic nutrient because everything in the body works together and you need a combination of things. So, um, selenium is very, very good, but I, uh, you people sometimes ask me like, Oh, you know, what's like the one vitamin that you recommend? What's like the best thing for thyroid. And I wish, I mean, I wish, gosh, if there was thinking, you know, we'd all be very rich. Right. But it, it depends on the person too. Cause here's another situation, right? What if someone eats, a lot of Brazil nuts, which are high in selenium, yep. and you know, they eat their leafy greens and they eat some of the, the the healthier kind of grains if they could tolerate them. And they have amazing selenium levels, right? Like their selenium so great. And but their thyroid may be off because again, there's so many other things that affect it. And they start taking selenium and they say, Well, it didn't do anything for me, right? Well, it's not that selenium doesn't help, but if you're not deficient in it, that's not your issue. Versus someone else who's very deficient in selenium, they may actually see a huge shift. Um, And selenium, as we mentioned, will affect the conversion. But the other thing when we talk about conversion is it happens in the liver and in the gut, right? So if our liver is clogged, we have a lot of toxins, or if the gut has a lot of bacterial imbalance. right? So maybe someone has candida overgrowth, or maybe they've taken a lot of antibiotics and they have parasites or other bacteria that will make the gut out of balance. And especially if we're not eating well and supporting the gut, um, when the gut is out of balance, the conversion in the gut's not going to happen well because there's all this other commotion that's already happening in there.
0: And when someone is looking to look at kind of when or how often to get their thyroid checked, How often should we kind of, I'm not sure what it's called in America. It's kind of like an NCT or an MOT. Like You get it done on your car. You kind of just check Mm -hmm. under the hood to make sure everything's okay. How many times a year should someone be optimally checking their hormones, their bloods, or whatever it may be, particularly with thyroid, because it needs a little bit more management.
1: It does. So it depends on if you have a thyroid issue or not. So if you're not sure that you have a thyroid issue, I would say, please go and ask your doctor to test all of the markers that we were just discussing. Yeah. Um, if there's nothing there and everything really is good and that's not your issue and you don't have Hashimoto's, then I think once a year is completely okay. Right. Cause usually, I mean, yes, things can come off, but it's not something that comes off so quickly. Right. So if there's no, nothing there once a year, just to make sure. If however, you do have a thyroid issue, say it's Hashimoto's or maybe your thyroid is on the slower end, maybe not Hashimoto's, but you know, just slower. Um, then I would say every six months, um, if your thyroid though is really off it to the point where you need thyroid medicine, which is very, very, very common. It initially is helpful to check it every three months, just to make sure, because when you start on medicine, sometimes, you know, you have to see how it works, right? Sometimes it's not enough. You need more. Sometimes maybe it's a little too much, so there's this adjustment period. Um, so I'd say every three months, but once you're on a dose that works and you're doing, the diet and some of the lifestyle changes, then most people can go every six months. I think every year is usually a little bit too long when you're on thyroid medicine. Um, And especially if you have Hashimoto's, because with an autoimmune, you can have flare ups and things can affect, you know, based on what you eat or hormones and things can affect that. So every six months is good. And you know what I find too, for people that have had thyroid issues for a while and they sort of figure out, yes, this is my issue. And they see their labs and they keep track. They will know when something feels off, you know, sometimes everything is good, good, good. And out of nowhere, it's like, wait, I'm tired. And it's not just a day or two, but just, it's been a week, it's been two weeks and I'm just feeling off. Right. And sometimes we can, you know, equate it back to, oh, you know, I was really stressed the last month. Right. Or, or I was exposed to something, you know, they were spraying in my yard and I was exposed to a lot of toxins, or maybe I did a lot of traveling and I didn't eat as well, or I haven't been sleeping as well. All of these things will affect thyroid. And if you feel off, then especially if you're on medicine or know you've had thyroid issues in the past, go get a check just to make sure you may need a tweak or an adjustment.
0: Spoke about, you said the words, things that could, could impact the thyroid. And I know there's an awful lot of kind of studies and there are more studies to be done on it. But what about the impact that the pill will have on the thyroid? Because the pill is one of those things that's kind of like a hot topic right now, particularly in Ireland, um, because it's, I think we literally just passed legislation yesterday that it's free contraception from for all women from 17 to 25, I think, mm-hmm. which is huge in Ireland because the Catholic Church was running the country for such a long time. Yeah. So how much of a role does the pill actually have an impact, or how much of an impact does the pill have on the thyroid in general?
1: There is definitely a relationship. Um, now, of course, obviously, You know, people use the pill for different reasons Mm -hmm. and I, you know, sometimes it's needed obviously for contraception, but what I find is that more often than not, and I see this a ton in the U S people don't even use it for contraception as much as they use it to try to deal with hormone symptoms, right? So someone has a lot of PMS or someone has very heavy periods or, um, maybe migraine headaches or acne, and or sometimes maybe they're not even that severe, but they just have like annoying period symptoms, right? And the doctor says, well, we don't know why. Just take the pill because why bother figuring out why this happens, right? Yeah, you might have an imbalance, but we don't know. We're not going to take the time to talk to you or figure this out. Just take the pill. It'll override your whole hormones and you'll be fine. And I mean, in a sense, right? I mean, it works because you override your own hormones and it you might feel better, better, right? For the time being, but it's just covering up the issue. And typically it's making the issue worse. You just don't feel it because you're putting a Band-Aid on it temporarily. But what happens is, you know, the reason why uh, there's of course many reasons, but one of the big reasons that I see why people have some of these hormonal issues in the first place is because they already have an imbalance. And typically they have something called estrogen dominance, where they have more estrogen than progesterone in the relationship. And when you take the pill, it gives you more estrogen, but also it's not natural estrogen, it's synthetic estrogen, which takes longer for your body to detoxify and get rid of. So now you have to deal with your own estrogen plus the pill's estrogen. And even though it's temporarily making you feel better, right, your body has to deal with the aftermath of that. And the effect with the thyroid is that it has to do with what your body does with the estrogen. So you know how we talked about how our hormones are bound to... um the to proteins, right? So they're on the bus. And so the total T4, T3 are on the bus. They're bound to proteins. They're called thyroid binding protein. Um, and when we have a lot of estrogen, and, and when I say a lot, it doesn't have to be like super high, but when there's an imbalance of estrogen, so relative to progesterone, the estrogen is higher. The body will increase something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is another type of binding protein. And so when there's more binding proteins and you're binding up more of the estrogen, the body's like, oh my God, there's all this estrogen. Let me like try to bind it up so it's not a problem for the body. It also then increases the thyroid binding globulins or the thyroid proteins. So you have more thyroid hormone on the bus. Now that's fine, right? Because they're traveling around. But the problem is we need those hormones to jump off the bus to get into the cells. But if you have many more buses going around and many more of these hormones or children are on the bus, They're not wanting to jump off the bus because it's almost like magnets. They're like staying on the bus. So then we don't have enough free hormones, which is the free T4 and free T3. And those are the hormones that get into the cell. So you can have a bunch of thyroid hormones around, but they're not usable. And I talk a lot about thyroid types. Um, And this is basically where depending on how your thyroid is functioning, you can have a type where you know, either you have a TSH issue or a T3 issue or T4 issue. And so I actually, there's a type that I talk about called the unavailable hormone type. And this is very common for those on the pill or have been on the pill for a while or in the past. Sometimes we see it with post-IVF treatments because there's a lot of hormones that are associated with that. And so this unavailable type is where we see normal TSH, everything else kind of looks okay, but they'll have really low free T4 and free T3 and so the hormones are there, but they're just not being able to be used by the cells. So people can have all those thyroid symptoms because they don't have access to their hormones. They're there, but they just don't have access to them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, makes loads of sense. And I think I think it is important to kind of like obviously talk th- th- things through with your GP or your practitioner and know your options because I think
1: if they to... listen,
0: yeah, I when we were chatting this all fair. <laughs> Before we, went, before we came on there, we were kind of talking about how difficult it can be for some people in relation to getting their hormones checked. And I've had this with clients so many times in the last three weeks in particular. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if things just stopped working in September. I don't mm-hmm. know. But it is one of those things that if you're uncomfortable or feel uncomfortable, then you have other options that are available. There are other Doctors you go to, or there are more specialists, ask, can you go and see a specialist and get a consultant, whatever it may be. I know that's going private and that people's cost of living is going through the roof at the minute because of what's going on. But there are options for you, but no one should really make you feel uncomfortable about trying to look after your health. Their number one role, they're under-resourced. I'm not going to take say it's their fault. They're under-resourced. It's not potentially on the curriculum enough and it's a completely new topic. In, for a lot of people that's kind of coming come to the fore now because I think with the amazing movement of, and the empowerment movement that women have going right now they are wanting are wanting to know more about their body rather than being suppressed for so long in relation to well it's just a period now get on with it if you know if that makes any sense because I've heard horror stories with schools and clients at, at school and comments being made and yeah, it's it's a, it's all at different stages, perimenopause, and all this kind of stuff. Some of the comments being made are horrible. Um, what about kind of can you? I think the last one question I'm going to ask is: Can you get pregnant if you have thyroid issues? Because I know there's a lot of fertility issues going around at the minute, unfortunately, and I know a lot of people are struggling with that. But can you get pregnant if you have thyroid issues?
1: Absolutely. I have two little kids. I have tons and tons of clients that have gotten pregnant even after failed IVF cycles. So this is a very, very important point too. And actually come to think of when we talked about symptoms, we didn't mention fertility, but that was another big thing. Fertility um, and hormone balance in general, right, is a big part of um, thyroid and that there's a big connection there. So just like we were saying, you need thyroid hormone for everything in the body, you need it to, to help to balance your hormones, but also when someone is trying to get pregnant, again, the body's really smart. And if the body sees an egg, right? And their sperm and like they're there, right? It sort of thinks, okay, well, do I want to fertilize this? But also do I want to pull out the best eggs in the ovaries? Because we're born with all of the eggs that we're going to have, but what gets pulled up before you ovulate, your body determines that, right? And most people think, oh yeah, so random. It's not random. Our bodies know what they're doing. So if the body is in a state of imbalance, right? There's not enough hormone, there's stress, there's all of these different things. The body will purposely not pull out the best eggs because it knows that it's not the best environment to grow a baby. And it takes about 90 days for the eggs to mature, they're gonna be coming up for the cycle, which is why I always recommend that if you're trying to get pregnant and it's it, you, know, you have any trouble, then have your thyroid checked and then do about three months on whether it's thyroid medication or supporting the thyroid naturally until things are good before trying again, because there is that 90-day egg maturation cycle. But you can absolutely get pregnant, um, but you do want to support the thyroid. And in a lot of situations, it's not going to be where the thyroid is outward really off. You know, when TSH is elevated, that's when we know there's major hypothyroidism. So most people that have fertility issues, you know, they're not going to have a TSH of 20, right? Because I mean, that's so like textbook blatant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that we know most people, they may have that borderline TSH- Or I see a lot of Hashimoto's that's not diagnosed and the immune system needs to be calmed or they have the T3 issue, which unless you test for it, it'll never get diagnosed if the doctor is just looking for TSH. So it's not always like in your face, like really high TSH because that probably would have been identified. But there's all of these other nuances that you can see and you absolutely can support.
0: As someone who was chasing answers for so long for your own health, What advice would you give to someone else out there? Not like they could be going through the same thing. I hope they're not. But if they're still looking for an answer and saying, right, I don't feel right. I feel off. What advice would you give to that person or even give to your younger self?
1: I would say you need to be your own health advocate. So if you feel something is off, you want to trust your body and you don't want to listen if people are saying no that's not it that's not it you're fine right because you know your body better than anyone else so if you feel that something is off you you know like just you want to keep searching for answers and oftentimes people will blame age they'll say oh you're tired because you're older Right. Well, 30, 40, 50, like that. You know, if you're 90, okay, fine, we can say that, right? But if you're in your 30s or 40s, even your 50s uh, or 60s, right? Like, yes, you're getting older, but that shouldn't be the reason why you're feeling a certain way, especially if it was more all of a sudden. So, what I would say is that you want to keep in mind that everything in the body is connected. And there is a reason. Like, there's always a reason for things, and there's always something that you can do. So if your doctor is not willing to run the blood work, and again, you know, Shane, like you said, I know there's a lot of stuff that could be going on financially. But if you're able to, you know, there's private labs that you can request your own blood work, and there's so much information, like your wonderful show, um, and a lot of stuff online, right? That you can learn about this. And I know it's one of those things where people say, "Well, I'm not a doctor; I don't want to take the time." And I get that. But depending on who you see, you know, like you said, doctors are way overworked, right? They have way too many patients. They don't have time to research and they're kind of doing what they can. We don't want to blame them, but we kind of, we have to take matters into our own hands, right? I'm not saying we need to treat ourselves, but I think it's important to just get educated. And there's so much good information out there and it doesn't have to be complex, right? So you can see, and then you can start with little things, right? Like start with diet, start with stress management, start with maybe just changing to more organic things if you can. So there's less toxins going in. It doesn't mean you have to do 25 things. Even little things can make a difference, but you know, I would say just keep in mind that if you feel something is off, but your doctor's saying there's nothing there, but you feel something, go with your gut and you know, start to look more into some of these other areas, thyroid being you know, an area that I think is just way underdiagnosed. And my hope is that with, you know, you and I, the conversation we're having today and, you know, with talking about some of these other labs, because most people don't even realize that there's anything beyond TSH, right? So they get a TSH, it's normal, and they're told they're fine and they don't even know that there's something there. So even just getting those other labs is already like this eye-opening moment to see, you know, what could be happening there.
0: People don't, I don't think some people are aware and I definitely wasn't aware before I got into this, that there is the option of a hormone screen. Like I wasn't aware of it before I ever started doing this. And you, you say it to clients, like, what's a hormone screen? Like, how do I go and do it? What is it like? What's the actual process? It's very similar, but it's just looking for different results. Um, and I think that education system 100% needs to be improved 100% here. I think it is changing but it's going to take a long time to kind of like undo a lot of years of whatever was going on. But I think it is changing, but like there are, there are methods and there are kind of like options for people. It's just finding what one works for you and knowing that there is. So I love that whole sentence of be your own health advocate. I think that's the message for this episode of what I've taken out of the so much there. Where can people find out about your your courses? Where can people work out about, with you and where can people find you on social media?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm very active on Instagram. I'm at Ina Toppler and I'm on there all the time and I have tons of information that I post there. And, you know, I know that because thyroid is complicated and, you know, I, I'm here to help people and... Um, you know, a lot of times people feel overwhelmed, like, where do I start? So I actually have a step-by-step program where it's customized to you and your results and I help you get results and uh, results, meaning your test results for your um, thyroid um, to be able to figure it out. Um, we actually have a training that's completely free that, um, any of your listeners, um, can watch where we get even more in depth into thyroid types and they can figure out their own thyroid type and how that relates. And then from there they can see some more information. So, um, that's at thyroidmysterysoft.com. Um, I will, you know, we can post all of those there and, um, you know they can connect with me also on my website, which is completenutritionandwellness dot com. But I'd say Instagram is probably the easiest. I'm very active there and uh, happy to connect and chat with everyone.
0: Amazing! Thank you so much for for coming on. Like I know there was so much more that we could like this. Could easily be fifteen episodes if we really yeah. want to get into the nitty gritty? And this is just you know, tip the, tip the surface of what we need to go through and what the education that needs to be provided. So thank you so much for coming on. And I have that analogy of the bus and people getting on and off the bus stuck in my head now. So thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. And thank you for doing all the great work that you do, helping so many people and supporting them.
0: Thank you so much. I really hope you have enjoyed that amazing episode with Ina on thyroid health. There's so much into that. So I would highly recommend to listen to it again, if it is something that, is an issue for yourself and i would highly recommend going to the doctor to make sure that you're at optimal range looking at what symptoms you have don't self -self self-diagnose make sure that you've got the treatment and if you're not happy with the feedback that you've got and you feel something is slightly off you know yourself better than anyone i would highly recommend to go potentially looking to go to a specialist and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you have any information or have any questions you want to ask, please let me know. If you're interested in working with myself on a one-to-one basis or on a female fat loss program, click the links below. And as always, guys, please, please, please share the podcast, share it amongst your friends and leave a review up on iTunes. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed the episode with Ina Toppler and I hope you guys have an amazing day.